Hey, hey, Rebecca. Hi, sweetie. Hi, hon. Where, where are we? Okay, well, right now we're at a bar, and the bar is called Huga. Huga? Yeah. Huga. It's in the Spring Garden neighborhood of Philadelphia, and we're here to do a podcast. Hey, honey. that's and terrific. that's why you got the headphones. You are correct. We're at Bar Huga. But the important thing here is, uh-huh. are you having fun? So far. So far, so good. How about you? Are you having fun? Not yet. Oh. I want to be truthful, but maybe when Catherine Price gets here, she can help me out. Miss Price is a self-taught expert on having fun. In fact, her byline is, quote, I help people scroll less, live more, and have fun. We are Bar Crawl Radio, and we talk to interesting, fun-loving people in neighborhood bars. And today we're having a fun-filled conversation with Catherine Price about her new book, The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. And with that bit of an introduction, here we go. Here she is. I think oh. the fun's going to start now. Hi. Hi. Have a seat. Have a seat. And you guys are on the Upper West Side, is that right? Where again are you? I think Paul was over. 92nd and West End. Okay, I went to Trinity, like K-12. Oh, okay. okay. And grew up on West 67th Street. All right. right. You live right near the CBS? Oh, ABC. ABC, yeah. ABC, right? we had my building, it was directly next to that. So do you want to wait for your food to get here? I'm happy to do whatever you guys want to do. Right, and I'm going to take well, off. Again, I'm just really excited to be here with you in person oh, and be having a glass of wine well, and just like not staring at a computer screen. So It's yeah. so, it's so yeah. civilized to do it, to do it this very way. very civilized. Yeah, it was funny. They, the first little like snippet of the audiobook was published, I guess, yesterday, and my husband got a Google alert, and he was like, "This is literally the slowest I've ever heard you speak." Mm-hmm. It was like, "Oh, that's funny." Yep. That's well, funny. you know, he can speed you up. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I think I naturally am one point five, so it's like. <laughs> You're gonna eat all that? <laughs> well, hopefully, you'll eat some too. No, no, but... no. no, no. No that's judgment, a, that's your, no, I judge all the time. It looks good. Oh, he's horrible. I don't know if that's part of having fun, but I'm, sure, I'm always judging <laughs> myself and other people. But I know yeah, I do it, so maybe that is good. Maybe that's a good thing. I think that's, yeah, I think everyone's actually doing the judging is whether or not you're going to say it out loud. Right, like no, no, no. It's <laughs> true. No, she calls me on it all the time. So how does it work to eat while you're recording? Because I'm like hyper-conscious of mouth sounds in general. We don't now, care. The audiobook. Yeah, okay. we don't care. We, I'll just he, he chews nuts and, um, uh, and chips. chips and, um, and I'm I'm always saying, you know, I don't think our listeners want to hear that. And no, this is a down and dirty, rough and ready. Yeah. You know, yeah, I so mean, you go ahead, the, smack the, away. The, sa- the sounds of the uh, bar in the background. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, go ahead here, and I'm gonna do. Where is it? I'm intrigued by these notes. Mm. I mean, it's a script. He writes a script. Nice. I read those scripts, right. This, this is all prepared. This is this is professional. Catherine, <laughs> yeah. this is professional. Yeah, right. Okay? <laughs> we know what we're doing. Not really, but... Catherine Price has been described as a recovering tech addict. She's the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone, which has been published in 30 countries and featured on, now listen to this, NPR, The New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Time Magazine, Wired, Vox, BBC World News, others, and Good Morning America. So, Catherine, I saw that segment on Good Morning America. I mean, that must have been fun. <laughs> when I helped Dan Harris break up with his phone? Yeah. Yes, it was fun. It was very fun. It looked like it was a lot of work. How long did it take? 
Well, he did most of the work. I was mostly just there to be the moral support. You were okay. the cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The main challenge was his apartment was really hot, and so I just got redder and redder throughout the course of the <laughs> entire interview. <laughs> but you'll notice if you watch it and look at my cheeks. I'll, I'll watch <laughs> it. I'll watch it closer this time. Oh, that's right? funny. Did they have good food service for you? I don't think we ate anything. Oh, oh no. boy, well, boy. Okay, all right. Well, I'm, it was intense, Alan. Okay, well, cheap I'm, joint. I got more for the introduction. Catherine's 30-day program on ditching her phone and unbreaking her brain received more than 2 million hits in less than a week. Holy moly. Miss Price is also a science journalist whose work has appeared in the best American science writing and other prestigious science sources. She's a speaker, teacher, consultant, and most recently completed work on her newest book, which we're going to talk about today, the Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. So, Catherine Price, welcome to Bar Crawl Radio. You're having your dinner. I, I, uh, and my breakfast and my lunch all at the same time. Here at, there here you at go. Bar Hooga. 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 You know what Hooga means? Coziness. Coziness, yeah. right. Very okay, good. Very good. Right. Here's my first quiz. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, you made that's it. That's good. You okay, good. It. We got harder questions later. <laughs> <laughs> so. They lore you in with talk yeah. of food and drink. Oh, yeah. and now. These are easy ones. <laughs> so, we want to thank you, our good friend Paula Parker who directed you in the audio production of this book uh, for for suggesting suggesting that we have this conversation. I want to thank her, too, because I'm psyched to be here, and it was such a pleasure to work with Paula. So, Paula, if you're listening, I I am going to speak much faster tonight than I did during our recording, and I know you wouldn't approve. So, clearly, you put a lot of time and thought into writing the book and um, bringing fun into our lives. So, was writing this book fun or work? <laughs> oh, you're just jumping in with a hard one. So, uh, yeah. I, um, and be honest. Well, I sold the book proposal in April of 2020, which, as some people might recall, was kind of an interesting moment in yeah. human history. April um, of 2020, yeah. Yeah, so I spent the, yeah. well, you know, I was going to say spent the pandemic, but unfortunately, that part of the pandemic writing a book about fun and that it was hard because as we'll talk about I'm sure like I came to realize a lot of fun has to do with human connection and it was a time when we couldn't connect in person but I also think it was actually really helpful because one of the main takeaways I came away with myself was how fun can really make us more resilient and so having this positive thing to focus on in the midst of 2020 when all sorts of stuff was happening was actually really useful so it was both fun and also work i am certainly happy i'm not writing it right now much more fun to talk about yeah writing yeah. writing's not always fun i mean mm, yeah. there's points in which it could be fun it's fun when you solve a problem i think and when you have something that you're working on and you go whoosh to the next uh, anyway the whoosh moments are good yeah yeah it took a long time to get to the whoosh i would say yeah <laughs> what did you do to make connection during the pandemic i did a couple of things to make connection during the pandemic first of all i moved in with my parents so that was one way to do it um, my husband and i you know we've got one kid and she's six and um my parents live now they used to live in new york as i told you guys earlier but right. um they now live in rural and you grew new up Jersey. in new york yes very right. close in to you guys city. and right. went to school K through 12, like three blocks from where you live mm-hmm. um so that was one way so i had human connection there but i think the main way i maintained human connection with people beyond my immediate family well two things i actually use the phone as a phone a lot more which i think a lot of people came to do using the phone as a phone yes wow. i called how people. does that work so you type in these numbers <laughs> really? and then there's this, this sound it's i think they call it a ring and then occasionally people pick up normally it's voicemail wow. sometimes they pick up and when they pick up what do they do well I they remember that they say hello hello uh-huh 
Interesting. If, uh, yeah, or they'll say, hi, Catherine, or I can't talk right now. That's what they would <laughs> oh, say. Wow. Right. But I remember seeing an article during the pandemic that talked about the increase in actual phone calls that carriers like AT&T were reporting, which was, I mean, it was like exponential. People actually were, you know, talking Rather to each other. Rather than texting. Yeah, which I thought wow. was really interesting. They wanted that's to talk. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, because mm. it's, you know, and I always actually joke with my friends that at some point we're all going to realize that these devices we carry in our pockets are actually capable of bridging, like, time and space and, like, connecting us with people. You just talk. Like, did you know you could just talk to someone with it? Yeah. It's amazing. And we're going to call it, like, you know, <laughs> iTalk or something. It's going to be the next big thing. <laughs> but um, so that was a big thing, you know, conversation, long walks with calls, and then also music. And I think you, you play music as well, I think, right? So I, mean, I used to play the accordion. I play the accordion. Dabble. I dabble in the accordion. Well, I play I with the accordion. I wish I could say I dabbled. I really studied it, and I really? never got good at it. <laughs> Did you have the one with the keyboard or with the I had the like keyboard, I was electronic, and I, wow. you know, He played Granada. Granada, mm. yeah. When I was very young, and I fell in love with my, my accordion teacher, oh, Mary Jo Shea. She, she was, was young. She was a real shiksa, I'll tell you. You, will, you guys, if you stay in Philly long enough, should go to Liberty Bellows, the res, oh. the is a accordion shop here, and they actually had. Um, I don't think they made it. Maybe they just, or maybe they did. It was called accordion pinups or something, and it was a pinup calendar with accordions. I, oh, I would always, Wait, when, you know, when the accordion, when when Mary Jo Shea would like, did she pull out the bellows really wide, <laughs> and then she would like put it in, and it's like I kept thinking something being pinched. I wish she were squeezing oh, wow. me. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean pinups? You mean like with women or yeah, something? Yeah, like 1950s women kind of pinup stuff. With just yeah. an accordion. Yeah, or just oh like a Oh, like my God. Bustiers. Oh, I think oh. we have to go there. Look at Wait yeah. a minute. What's the name of this? Alan, Liberty down. Bellows. Liberty Bellows. Oh Get it. God. Calm yourself, dear. <laughs> I'm writing it down. You can, okay. you can eat while I'm writing this okay. down. Okay. Oh, well, I have another question. I have okay. another question. Um, so you note in your book that there is really no scholarship on fun. Um, so you're in a new territory uh, with these questions, right? Yeah, that was something that was fascinating to me. So I'm a science journalist by training, not necessarily by choice, but I kind of stumbled into doing a lot of stuff with health and nutrition and positive psychology and all this stuff, which I find fascinating. And I have a history of turning my personal issues into professional projects, which is how I got involved in writing my last book, which was How to Break Up With Your Phone. And for this one... I got really interested in the feeling of fun, and the, which I can tell you the story. It actually had to do with music because I signed up for this guitar class about four years ago because I realized once I started spending less time on my phone, I had all this free time, and I had completely lost sight of what I actually wanted to do, which led to an existential moment on my couch where I decided I was just waiting to die. I didn't like that idea. So I was just like, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, what's something I always say I want to do but supposedly don't have time for? And my answer was learn to play the guitar because I play the piano. My grandmother was, gave me money for a guitar in college. I had the guitar. It was basically, like I say in the book, like it was attracting dust and guilt for like 20 years. Oh, boy. So I started taking this class, and I had this amazing feeling, this energy that just buoyed me for the rest of the week. And I, the best word I could think to describe it was fun. But then when I looked up fun in the dictionary, it really was very paltry. Like there was, the definition was something like lighthearted pleasure which didn't describe it at all. So I got very interested in learning more about fun. So then I go to PubMed and I tried to look up fun, say, okay, well, what if people learned about this? Because I've done about a lot about positive Someone psychology. Someone must have written about they it. They must have written about Aristotle it. Aristotle must have thought about it. Aristotle probably did think about it. but <laughs> So I look, put it into PubMed, and one of the top hits I got back was a, t a paper titled Putting the Fun in Fungi, and it was about <laughs> toenail fungus. 
Oh my gosh. And I was like, well, that's not what I'm talking about. So yeah, there's not much um, the known about fun. And I think that's in large part because we have not had a satisfying definition of it. Until now. Until now. Yeah. yeah. All right. You know, some of the, the few papers I was able to find that didn't have to do with toenail fungus, but that had to do with fun, I, a couple of them said things like, fun is not an index, index term in any psychology textbook of which we are aware. And I was like, wow. Because those are big indexes, but not for the fun is just not in there. That's a huge wow. discovery. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I, I reflected on my own experiences. I thought about my background in positive psychology. What's that? This is, this yeah. is Wes, who's now in our podcast. Yes. Yeah. Hey, Wes. At Bar- I'm good. You want another, are you going to want another beer? I'm going to not, not about ten, about five minutes. Okay. I'm bringing, drinking this I like how you backtrack that. Then ten in five, five minutes. Yeah. I'd, I'd like it right now, actually. Yeah, exactly. Just put it on the table. 30 seconds, yeah. please. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I reflected on my own experiences, and I thought about my background, like my previous writings about happiness and looking into positive psychology, which is you know, the study of human well-being, and came, with, came up with a hypothesis that fun is the confluence of three states, playfulness, connection, and flow. That was, I think, really, well, I know, was really exciting to me because... You, it, there's no research on fun per se, but if you define it as playful connected flow, there actually is a lot of research. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, interesting. Right, right. But it's not necessarily called fun. Exactly. You have to look at the parts and kind of draw some hypotheses. And one of my dreams is that someone's going to read this book and then actually be inspired to do some research. I actually was write just a on dissertation this, on it. Write a dissertation on that sounds really fun. Um, yeah. But I was on a call with a bunch of endocrinologists earlier tonight because I have type 1 diabetes and I'm on this leadership council and I mentioned the book and actually one of my friends who's on the council texted me to say that she's going to prescribe my book to her patients and I thought Whoa. well that's so cool because one of the things I really do believe is that fun is a health intervention I mean you also should just have fun because it's fun but if we have to justify it in the way that we typically do there's actually a lot of reasons to have fun well there's yeah. got to be some kind of practical outcome otherwise I know right you why would Americans do it exactly I think a lot of people do believe that you have to justify fun in fact I think that in a sense many people don't really see fun as useful um, it happens, okay, right? But Sometimes. It's not what we are here on earth for. Oh, man, it is what we are. Yeah, well, I know wait, that you're so not you, saying you, that. But you, you've turned this work ethic upset. idea on its head. So tell <laughs> us about that. Yeah, you can see I, I just got a little little, little uh, yeah, yeah. disjointed you're there. Ruffling your feathers, yes. Yeah, yeah, well, I think it's so true. We think of fun, in particular our own fun, as frivolous, if we think about it at all. But in fact, I think it's what makes life worth living because if you ask people to reflect on the experiences that they would describe from their own life as having truly been fun, which I did, I got thousands of anecdotes from people around the world, they're the moments in which we feel alive. You know, and I I ask people to describe to me past experiences in which this is, yeah, that that they would describe as having been, quote, so fun, very technical terminology. Three of them. I asked them to send me three of them, and then I asked them to send me a description of uh, an event they would like to plan or be a part of that they would think of as being fun. And I did that because this was August of 2020 when I did this. And so it was, again, thick of lockdowns. And when I read through the stories people sent me, they made me joyful, not just kind of a little bit happy, but joyful, but also almost teary in some ways. There was this energy that ran through them that was really profound. So I think that that really led me to believe that I was onto something. I just talked to someone the other day who said she read the prologue to my book and started crying (laughs) because she couldn't think about the last time that she had fun. And I thought, wow, you just wouldn't, if you just think it's a book about fun, I think it might be easy to even write off the book as frivolous. I think the reason we do this podcast, clearly not to make 
a million bucks. We do it because it's a whole bunch of friggin' fun. I can already tell that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's I true. I mean, that's why we do it at a bar. It is fun. But I, I wanted to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna step on your question because it's a good time for it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh oh, yeah. go ahead. You were inspired to do this when you had your child, right? It's, or at least your, your 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 former book, which was which kind of links into this, and it's about cell phones. Could you tell us that story of sure. sitting there on your cell phone with your child in your lap? <laughs> oh, you just want to get depressing on our fun podcast. Yes. Yeah, I never thought I would write a book about technology. That's not something I'm inherently interested in, which, I mean, to be honest, How to Break Up With Your Phone ostensibly is about technology, but it's really about intentionality and mindfulness. But the story that Ellen's referring to is that I'd had a baby, and this was in 2016. I was up feeding her one night, I'm sure this happened many times. There was one night in particular I remember. And we were up, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And for whatever reason, I had this kind of out-of-body experience where I could see the scene as it looked to an outsider. And it was this little baby in this woman's arms looking up at her own mother. And then the mother, as in me, looking down at her phone. And, you know, my heart sank. I, I just, that was not what I wanted you kind of have an out-of-body experience just yeah. looking at yourself doing this. Yeah, and, and it wasn't... <laughs> I was looking at eBay. I was looking at doorknobs on eBay. Because because, we, because you were building a kitchen. We were renovating time. our kitchen, yes. and um, Crazy. I mean, I do love doorknobs. And if you, we were at my house, I would show you my doorknobs. They're quite nice. But we had finished the I renovation. I you would love to see them. <laughs> um, into decorating, yes. Yes, they're very, very nice doorknobs. But, you know, it, it was just as absurd as someone scrolling through Instagram. It was just a different version of the same compulsion. And it really upset me because I do like to think of myself as someone who's self-aware and present in her own life. And here I was with the, one of the relationships that means the most to me. And it also just made me think, you know, I know that babies can only focus as far as their caregiver's face, like 10 to 12 inches in front of their face, because that helps them bond with their caregiver. It's an evolutionary thing. Yeah, but the description in your book I yeah. mean, that jumped out to me is this baby looking up at you yeah. and like just being a baby and looking at you and you realizing you're not paying attention. Not paying attention to her. And I just realized I needed to change. You know, I was like, that is not okay it was a really a wake-up moment and I realized it wasn't just me you know my husband also had a bad relationship with his phone I think it's interesting that in the grand scheme of things I don't think we were really that bad but we're all, that's saying something because we were really bad and then I also thought it's not like we're the only ones struggling with this it was just that not many people were talking about it at that point and there wasn't any kind of plan to take back control. And so that's what really got me interested is that, you know, the, the books I found, there were some really good books out there, but they just made me really upset and, and, and anxious and kind of like, oh, God, we're all screwed. Yeah. And so that's what inspired me to write How to Break Up With Your Phone, which combines this look in the science of what this constant distraction and anxiety and disconnection in the form in the guise of connection is doing to us with actually a plan to take back control which is actually a part of your formula because you do present a way towards having what you call true fun part of it is not being distracted yes is being focused yeah right it's being present and, and, uh, and certainly the cell phone which is sitting on this table here somewhere you didn't bring yours by the way well, mine's hidden somewhere. Actually, I don't think we have one on the table. No, I, yeah. I think I put it in my... Yeah, it look at over there. It is built to distract. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's... Hopefully more people are aware of this now, but certainly at the time when I was writing How to Break Up With Your Phone, it was less commonly acknowledged that 
the people who make most of our most problematic apps are actually profiting from stealing our attention from us, literally under our noses. Right. And when you right. think about what your attention really is, I mean, what one of the biggest takeaways or the biggest takeaway that I had personally from how to break up with your phone is that our lives are what we pay attention to. You know, you only experience and remember what you pay attention to. Right. You know, like right now, the only thing that exists to me is this three of us sitting around this table and with my, with a snack board, right? The snack board and French fries in the middle and yeah. and so mic this, in front of our face. So this is what I'm going to remember from this moment in my life. I'm not going to remember anything else that's happening. So that's, and I'm happy to be making this choice right now. I'm thrilled to be here, but we're making these choices constantly. So it's really important to guard our attention. And I don't think, even now, I don't know that people have fully internalized how valuable their attention is and how powerful the forces are that are working against us. I think there's still a lot of denial about well, that. Well, well, certainly there are big corporations and institutions that are paying attention to your attention Yeah. and making gobs of money on what you attend to. I often say to people, you know, like, it's just as a thought experiment. I'm like, well, I'll show the sign-up page for Facebook. They've actually changed this. Well, now it's meta, but they, before, they changed the login. It used to say it's free and always will be when you signed up. And I would ask people, what strikes you as weird about this page? Because Facebook's worth a trillion dollars, and you can't be worth a trillion dollars if you are giving away your product for free. And for many people, that really is kind of a wake-up moment of like, oh, wait a second. Then sometimes they think, oh, advertisers, you know, it's just about ads. And it's like, yeah, but who do you think they're showing the ads to? Like, an ad is worthless if it doesn't get someone's attention and even more importantly the goal is to change your behavior it's not just to steal your attention it's to change your behavior and what we how we act is how we live so I think one of the biggest things that kind of mind-blowing things for me was this realization as there's this tech expert named Jaron Lanier puts it that phones are really behavior modification devices and if you start to think about how many of your daily decisions in your everyday life are somehow influenced by algorithms it doesn't take long before you start having conversations about free will like who's really in control so you divorced your phone <laughs> and you looked at how to replace that and it turned out to be fun so I'd had that realization that our lives are what we pay attention to, but I hadn't yet figured out what I wanted to pay attention to. That was the segue between how to break up with your phone and the power of fun. This world that we're in, you know, it's not, it's, this world is filled with problems and pain, hunger, human suffering. How can you advocate that we focus on fun? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pushback that a lot of people have, is that we've been conditioned to pay attention to all of those things. So I'd first off say, like, just like baseline. I mean, you do need to have your basic needs met before you're paying attention to fun. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you're not going to be able to pay attention to fun. So I don't want to be acting like for people who are in an abusive relationship or suffering from food insecurity or anything like that, that they should be like, you should just have fun. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> With that said, if you look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and what it takes to reach our full potential as human beings, you know, the, the bottom two layers are very much like basic need kind of stuff. But when you go to the top three, it's things like fulfilling relationships and knowing who you are and finding a sense of purpose. Self-actualizing. Self-actualizing. Yeah. And what I found that I thought was really interesting is that fun isn't just the result of those things. It's actually a cause. And so the more fun you're having, the more yourself you will be. We're very authentic when we're having fun. And I would also say in terms of the world's problems, I think we tend to have this like zero-sum equation where we think we just need to be stressed out. It's like the bumper sticker that says if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And I, I always respond to that, but like, maybe I just don't want to be outraged all the time. Like, I can pay attention, but also choose to pay attention to some other things. Because 
honestly, if you pay attention to all the stress and the bad things in life right now, then you won't have any energy for anything because you'll be stressed out and miserable all the time. I think the more fun we can have, the more energy we'll have. And in addition, fun itself encourages us and enables us and empowers us to embrace shared humanity. You know, you can disagree with someone vehemently politically, but then have a lot of fun with them. And that fun will help you connect in a different way. I can really dislike the fact that you are, you voted for Trump. I really dislike <laughs> it. But, but can we go out and have a beer and have, have fun? Oh, you're not talking to me directly. I was like, no, no, I wasn't no, talking to you. Not, no. <laughs> it's not all about you, Catherine, you know. You were pointing at me while you said that. I, was I, I know. I, I, he's like that. I'll point at that guy. He, he looks like he supports Trump. Um, no, but exactly. You know, it's like you can dance at a wedding together. It, it actually reminds me, there was a story I read in this book called Humor Seriously by these uh, two women at Stanford, which I, I recommend. And they were telling this story about, I think, Madeleine Albright doing some kind of diplomatic thing with this guy from Russia, her counterpart in Russia. And it was like high stakes negotiation, but for some reason there was also like a talent show involved. And she and this guy spent hours, like vodka fueled hours, putting together like a musical number together. Wow. Yes. And at first you're like, what the hell? Like, real? Like, oh my God, I can't, like, that's really irresponsible. And like, why are we government funding? You know, you can see the headlines. But in reality, if you put on a karaoke performance with some other person wow. and you you will be able to connect at that negotiation table in Mind a way that, explosion right biden and putin <laughs> coming up with the hors d'oeuvres for the uh for yeah, the next they, meeting they just need to come up with like yeah a skit no yeah, a skit, right. right they have to do a karaoke show. what would then, they choose what then song? they have to perform it yeah my know. way they call my, my way, way. <laughs> <laughs> i did it my That's good. <laughs> okay, right there, I'm going to play my way with Frank Sinatra. That's that's going to come. I, I think it's time uh, for us to actually talk about what you mean by fun. Okay. Because you differentiate between fun, fun, I mean fun, and then this thing called true fun, and this other thing called fake fun, and then you use a lot of other words. I'm going to just going to throw in <laughs> happiness, joy, flourishing. Paula blah, Parker, blah, blah. who you were... No, 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 no. Okay. It's very good. She said, make sure to ask Catherine about delight. Oh. The word delight. Thanks, and I, I want to hear about that. True fun. What is it in well, 10 words? So, okay. But before that, to help us understand, okay. can you read your selection? Oh, the sure. The selection we gave you from your book? Sure. I'm, this, I have a piece of paper in front of me with my own phone number on it. There and you it go. it says, Catherine <laughs> reads. So Catherine You can have that piece of paper read. Oh, want. thank you. In case I need to find my what? own way home. All right, let's see. True fun, I realized, is the feeling of being fully present and engaged, free from self-criticism and judgment. It is the thrill of losing ourselves in what we're doing and not caring about the outcome. It is laughter. It is playful rebellion. It is euphoric connection. It is the bliss that comes from letting go. When we are truly having fun, we are not lonely. We are not anxious or stressed. We are not consumed by self-doubt or existential malaise. There is a reason that our moments of true fun stand out in our memories. True fun makes us feel alive. They really do stand out in our memories. I was thinking about that when you, when Alan was talking earlier about, you know, we we're going to talk about what, what we found fun or when, we, when we remembered having fun. And I really remember those moments when I had fun. Yeah. 
It's something visceral. And I think what's interesting to me is that when I was asking, so I recruited this big group of people that I called the Fun Squad to help me with this research. Like 1,500 people. Yeah, it was a lot of people. I don't even know what the end total was. How did you find them? Uh, I recruited people off of my mailing list for ScreenLifeBalance.com. I did something similar with How to Break Up with Your Phone, but this was an even bigger group. And I thought it was really interesting because what I did in that survey with them is that I asked them to share these experiences with me, but I didn't propose my definition because I just wanted to see what they would say before I did that. I got the sense you were trying to come up with a definition by listening to what their experiences were. Well, at that point, I had a hypothesis based on my own experiences, but I wanted to know, is this just Catherine being, you know, because like, again, as I was telling you, the dictionary says lighthearted pleasure. And meanwhile, I'm like, this was life changing. And I was like, but is that just me? Am I being dramatic? So I thought I'd ask people. Just a simple question, which is, tell me about some experiences that you would describe as so fun, as I was saying, like the academic terminology. And I think I think what's really interesting is that people got that on a visceral level. Like the, the answers they gave all had the same energy running through them. And I guess I bring that up because I think in some senses, like I'm about to make fun very academic by telling you my definition. But I think we also all know it. It's like that, you know, line about pornography. You know it when you feel it. Like you know it, or when you see it, rather. In this case, you know it when you feel it. So... In that sense, maybe you don't need to get too semantic about it. But since I'm a writer, I did. And the definition I came up with and that I proposed to the people in the fun squad after they'd shared these experiences and that they validated was that fun, or as I call it, true fun, is the confluence of three psychological states, playfulness, connection, and flow. So playfulness does not mean you have to play a game. People get really freaked out when you say playfulness for grown-ups. It does not have to be improv comedy or anything like that. It's just an open, lighthearted attitude where you don't care too much about the outcome. And you're just enjoying yourself for the pure sake of whatever you're doing. And I like to, you know, you can tell when people are being playful because the, the verb that comes to mind for me is that they sparkle. You know, like a twinkle in someone's eye. That's what we're talking about. And then for connection... It can come in a number of different forms. And the vast majority of, of examples that people shared with me, and certainly my own experiences, the connection with was with another person, which is really interesting. Sometimes a dog, but most often another person. <laughs> and that was true for introverts and extroverts. There was an element of having had a special shared experience with someone else, and that was nearly universal in people's anecdotes. And then with flow, that's a psychological state of being totally engaged in your present experience, often to the point of losing track of time. So... You know, you can think about an athlete in the midst of a game or you can think of a musician playing music or even like us having this conversation, or at least for me. <laughs> um, it's very different from what this, the, uh, Mihai, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who's the guy who coined the term, he referred to as junk flow, which is kind of the passive consumption hypnosis you get into and say you're just scrolling through Instagram. Sure, you're losing track of time there, but it's not active and engaged. That's not really flow. Yeah. So when you have playful, connected flow in the true sense of that word, I argue those are moments of true fun. And the reason I've created the term fake fun was to really draw a contrast between that experience of playful connected flow and the life-affirming experience that that represents and the many activities that are marketed to us as fun but that aren't actually fun. So so the, the, the games that I play on my, my phone, that's not fun? Well, I think that sometimes they could be enjoyable up to a point, but I would, I mean, I would ask you, do you think that when you do that it's and I'm not saying that with a predetermined outcome I'm just no, curious they're not as fun as those memories that I was telling, talking yeah. about and I, I know what you're talking about yeah I hear, I hear you I think it's important though to, to make that distinction that you're kind of getting at which there are lots of activities which in moderation can be enjoyable up to a point but still wouldn't necessarily qualify as true fun and that's not saying they're better or worse it's just like watching a television show that you really love 
could legitimately be very enjoyable as long as you don't get to the point, you know, keep letting Netflix play and then you're like, what the hell happened to the past three hours? So I'm not saying that that there aren't activities that are enjoyable. What am I saying? I don't want to say that like the only things that are worth pursuing are true fun. There's plenty of other enjoyable activities, but there's also this category of activities that truly are not fun and where you can cross the line into just feeling disgusting about yourself. And it's very similar to junk food. They're really appealing. You're drawn compulsively to them. And then afterwards you just feel disgusted and that's fake fun. And I think it's important semantically to draw that distinction because once you start evaluating your life through the lens of true and fake fun, it becomes a lot easier to reduce or eliminate the sources of fake fun because you're like, you call it out for what it is, but we haven't had the words to do that. Can, can, I, can I just throw in here because, I mean, I, clearly, I mean, everyone should, should read this because I think you need to recognize this experience that you have. If you don't have it, you should seek it out. It's this, so good. Yeah, it, it, it is so good. <laughs> I'm not sure everyone is as capable as others, but I think everyone can develop the skills to, to, to get there. But does it always have to involve other people? Like, for instance, I remember watching the end of a film by Michelangelo Antonioni called Les And I remember sitting there, and I certainly, at the end of the film, I was in flow. I was, I couldn't get up. I couldn't move. My brain was like, whoa, 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 right? It was whatever this film was about, right? And it was happening within me, but I wasn't in, I, I, I mean, it was with other people, but I wasn't engaging with them at that moment. That's not true fun. Well, I don't know. What do you else. think? I don't, I couldn't say that I was having fun. I was having kind of a, an awakening, hmm. but yeah, it may but, be something else. But you were watching a film in a group of people. It wasn't a group I, of people. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's different than yeah. just watching it at home alone. It truly is. I mean, it's it's that's why we like to go to movie theaters. It's uh, I think it's yeah, which it's, is so interesting because it's a solitary activity that we somehow enjoy more when we're sitting in the dark with other people not talking. And especially when you hear <laughs> other people, no, but then mm-hmm. their responses, their reactions. Yeah. You know, and you. I mean really good films there's been spontaneous applause or you know whoop, whooping or yeah. you know cries of terror at, at scary parts and it's, it's it's very interesting yeah and we haven't had that during COVID yeah, we I haven't been it, able to go in and watch those enjoyable films that we yeah. have fun watching with other people yeah and there's a term for that that Adam Grant wrote about recently called collective effervescence which oh my god in the audiobook effervescence there were just like those certain words that Paula had to go <laughs> effervescence well, we experience that um, every week with this I always change it to like bubbling yes exactly like <laughs> collective bubbling collective but I, bubbling but I think what you're talking about Alan it kind of it's an interesting example because I can't tell you whether that was true fun because I don't know your you know personal lived experience but my suspicion is that it was a it was some combination of playfulness and flow and, and um, connection. And creativeness, and might, too. Yeah, and I think that it wouldn't necessarily qualify. But you could tell me, I think that, I mean, it's a subjective thing. But even if it weren't true fun, it was really meaningful. And I think that draws out the point that we don't need to obsess too much over whether something is full-on playful, connected flow, all three of them together. If you orient your life towards moments of playfulness, connection, or flow, they're all really powerful states and so 
that was a meaningful experience for you that you truly enjoyed. So whatever we call it, that was worth it, you know, versus doing something that you feel was a waste of time that didn't produce no, that no, euphoria. It was, it, it was, it was life-changing. Yeah, yeah. It turned me to realize that film is art and that I wanted to explore it, and it changed my life. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I want to change a little bit here. I want to, because we're kind of into this energy now uh-huh. of what... <laughs> Of what this he's is, tell, he's telling me he wants to go to a different part of the script. Yeah, of what? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, what energy means. <laughs> yeah. This is this about being playful here, right? Uh, okay. Is it all right? So, so I'm, where I'm are we on, going? I'm on page five. Okay. okay. And then we'll we'll make the other pages work. Okay. Um, and I think this goes along with what we're talking about. In your book, you challenge your readers to come up with three moments in which they feel they understand what true fun is and when they had it. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to share. I want to hear this. I might some, cry. Some to you. Uh-huh. Um, this, this first one, as I was thinking of it, I realized it was when I first met Becky. When I first met my, my lovely wife, Becky. And we were at a um, theater school in Central California where she was studying theater, and I was there as a guest artist. I was an actor. I had just graduated from SMU, and I was hired at no money, like $100 a month. Oh, like, more than that. It was $200. $200 a month. Oh, yeah. <laughs> more least, than at that. At least 200 More, much more than double, <laughs> double 100 right? So I was, running 200%. An, I was running an improv class, and we did this totally connected improv. Hmm. My good friend um, Jim McClure, who has since passed away because of alcoholism, um, who was like a major kind of figure in, in my life. Actually, in point of fact, he had stopped drinking, and that's what That's what killed him, because he stopped him. drinking. Oh, and, wow. he got some kind and we were doing an improv called The Invention of Flight. It was an improv. Okay. In which we were coming up with how did flight, when was it first invented? <laughs> I can, and then I realized, and I talked to Becky, she said, Becky, I was there. I was in that improv. You mean the, earlier today when we talked about yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and I she said, could remember I, the sounds in her head. It's one of the great memories that I have too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of being in of, of that theater moment yeah. that you were in. I really felt the the air, the breeze, the I don't know whatever we were. Experiencing. We were like we had become birds with like you know, and and it's so it it we weren't laughing. Yeah. But we were told we were all of us were like connected. Mm totally connected and what she saw it's almost like that's what I saw I could I could hear the breeze going the wind going through my 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 face I can hear it I can still hear it true fun I mean if we go by whether or not I'm like choking up then yes yeah I mean yes I mean they're the moments in which you feel the most alive you know well when I got my dissertation and I passed my orals um, and I left the room my legs couldn't hold me up and I fell on the ground (laughs) I was so joyful I was so happy and so amazed that I had made it after all those years true fun was it well see that one I don't know was it it sounds like relief like enormous relief but do you think there was an element of fun maybe it was maybe it was a great deal of happiness happiness it was I was there maybe it was relief I mean is that connected to it I would imagine whatever you did right after that was probably truly fun well we went out and had drinks and had had, had lunch (laughs) one of our favorite restaurants no that was fun yeah Yeah. it was yeah I remember that and the last one I have is playing lawn bowling (laughs) which you have played lawn bowling yes but I don't know you use that as a an example of true fun. I actually had true fun lawn bowling. I think that brings up an interesting point, though, that I 
it took me a while to realize myself, which is that activities that we often think if you want to have more fun, you need to pack more activities into your schedule and pick up more hobbies. And I think there's a real benefit to having lots of hobbies. Those hobbies can lead you to true fun. But doing the same activity can have radically different outcomes depending on your mood or the circumstances or the people or whatever. So I think if I, I went to, you know, we were chatting before the podcast started about how I grew up right near a, what I now know is a lawn bowling green in Central Park. So I used to live in Berkeley when I was in journalism school and I had these friends from college come to town and we were trying to think of something to do. I mean, they're just, you know, I, I think of certain people in certain activities and settings as being fun magnets, my favorite people. And my then boyfriend, now husband, had fa- seen an ad or something for like the Berkeley Lawn Bowling Club, and we didn't know anything about it, but we were kind of intrigued. And so we went with this group of friends, and we had them, and you know, we were, I was in my mid 20s at that point. It was like we were by far the youngest people by like 40 or 50 years, but they were so psyched to have us there. Sure. And we had such a fun time. It was truly it was fun. fun. And I remember that, and that was maybe like 2006. And yeah. yeah, I think one way to really identify these moments of true fun is that you remember these details like you were just saying with the improv game um, years later it's like it was just yesterday it really stands out in your mind as this treasure a definition of true fun something that is so memorable it's like it's embedded in your brain yeah on a lot of different levels on like sensory levels yeah I think that's definitely a sign of it I mean certainly there's other psychological states that can lead to that but I think that the (laughs) the positive ones are often moments of true fun you lucky people are listening to Bar Crawl Radio today we're coming to you from Bar Boogie Huga, in the town of brotherly and sisterly love. And we're talking to Catherine Price, author of her new book, The Power of Fun, and we'll be right back. So when I was, I think, 25-ish or so, I got a job at the um, Marriott Hotel as a cocktail waitress. It's the one in Times Square. I don't know if you've ever seen it or been in it or anything. but And the bar I worked at was a rotating bar. Oh, my. <laughs> so cheesy. But I met two women that have became lifelong friends. And we had the worst, the ugliest uniforms. They were... A throwback to the 60s-ish, <laughs> but yet, you know, kind of maybe modernized somehow. A long black skirt with a big slit and this silly little soft blouse with bell sleeves and... and you had a hat too, didn't we you? Had, well, that was, that's, the, that's the last one I always mention because well, we had a belt with rhinestones, but we had, oh my. We had a pillbox hat. Oh, okay. Jacqueline Kennedy. Pillbox yeah, I hat. I see. It's oh, a lot and, going on. A lo- like. Oh, so much. And we had gloves. But, you know, of course, they were fingerless gloves because we were cocktail servers. So, <laughs> so really learned that the hard way. They're and like, better and we fingers. had to wear heels. Oh, my God. That didn't last long. No. I still, I lost a feeling in one of my toes. Still, still. Don't, but uh, Sheena and Grace and I, for our dinner break, which would be around 8 o'clock, we didn't want to go to the employee cafeteria. Um, we decided to go out. Which, this is in uh, the theater district of the city. So we would run down to the um, locker room. We'd take off as much as of that horrible costume as we could. We'd put our sweats on on top of it, you know, a sweatshirt <laughs> on. We didn't care how we looked. Put our sneakers on. But you kept the hat on, I'm assuming. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Darn it. <laughs> I know, right? We should have. That yeah. would have been, in hindsight, yeah. <laughs> that would have. 
No, but we abhorred everything about it. So we'd run down the street to a bar in theater district, which would be empty at 8 o'clock because everybody's oh, in, in, the theater. in the theater and sit at the bar and drink <laughs> for our lunch break. Uh-huh. And we'd have a drink. We'd have one drink each, and we would um, Google eyes the bartender and say, can we have some of those more olives? And can I have one of those pieces of orange? And we'd, we'd eat the garnishes as our meal. We just had so much fun, the three of us. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just silly. I don't know. remember what we talked about. We talked about love lives, our love lives, yeah. you know, things like that. Well, I think that also taps into the idea that it doesn't have to be profound to have true fun. You know, like I think that some of my favorite fun memories are things like car karaoke with a group of people where, yeah, we were not discussing the meaning of life, but we were, we were not having a life-changing experience watching the, the movie or whatever, but it was just so fun. Um, and also I think that brings up a theme that I noticed when I was reading through people's anecdotes of true fun, which was this spirit of playful rebellion, of doing something slightly deviant, harmlessly deviant, but in the sense that like everyone else in the theater district is off playing the show, you're supposed to be on your dinner break in the cafeteria, but in fact you're like sneaking out to this bar, you know, with your ho- your sweatshirts over your little ridiculous outfits. There's something that fe- it, it bonds you together because you're in this shared, absurd, somewhat um, rebellious experience. I didn't even think about, it, but you're absolutely right. We right? did. We felt rebellious. Yeah. We felt like like if we were caught, you know, if some one of our bosses saw us doing right. this, that we would be reprimanded. Right. And right, then right. we had the and, and reprimanded, but not arrested. You know what I mean? Like no. there's that line. No, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So the added advantage is that when we came back to you know finish our shift, we had a great time, mm-hmm. and we were so friendly with the guests and everything. So well, that's the other thing is that you know maybe the alcohol played a role in that, but also it's just like you'd had fun, and the result of having fun is being more fun. So I think it makes total sense if you ca- if you came in and you just had a stressful conversation with someone and then you came onto your shift, your interactions with the with the guests would have been totally different. But if you come into it where you you yourself feel playful because you just had an experience of playfulness totally different and I find that in parenting you know having a kid who's now six if I have fun I'm able to interact with her more playfully and then she is more fun in a way that really is powerful like just last night I forgot I had a crazy day yesterday I, I think it was probably one of the more stressful days I've had I mean that I, I even can think of it was pretty nuts I had to be it just yeah a number of like being on for essentially like six hours in the kind of performance way Without any preparation, I was exhausted. But I also, you know, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's because of all the stuff I've been doing with fun. But at dinner, I was also so relieved not to be doing that. But my daughter got interested in the harmonica. And my grandmother was very musical, as I mentioned. And so I've got a ton of harmonicas. And so we pulled out a harmonica. And then I was thinking, well, what's some harmonica song I could play for her that would be kind of interesting? And I was thinking of Blues Traveler. And so because I was in a playful state of mind after dinner, instead of, like, rushing to our bedtime, like, we got to get upstairs, I need to lie down on the floor and stare at the ceiling, which is what I did after she went to bed. But I was like, oh, listen to this song. And then she's like, I want to be a dog. And I was like, sure, you know. It was the most delightful, oh, we need to talk about that word, delightful and joyful moment. And I had a moment of true fun with her, with her just squirming on her back on the floor with her eyes closed, pretending to be a dog to Blues Traveler's song, Hook. But the reason I was able to both create and appreciate that moment is because I had come into it with the spirit of fun you know well I mean one of the the moments that I wish I could go to heaven with is me with my grandson Jackie and we're we're talking gibberish to each other <laughs> and it's like we're actually talking to each right. other you know, I did all with did because that yeah 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 y
Yeah, that's what they do. Oh, really? And Jack's very good at it. There's a video. He's better than you. Because I'm a grown-up, it makes me self-conscious. But yes, I know, because then it allows you to... I remember seeing a video of two twin boys who were like toddlers or something who had a whole language like that. And it was this extended video that went viral on YouTube. I think because it made other people appreciate that fun. But they were just yammering on to each other in nonsense syllables, but so clearly having a conversation. We were so listen. I mean, we so listened to each other. Yeah. And But it not, it's not language. It's just, it's, it's I'm with you, Jack, and you're yeah. with you're me. You're in playful, connected flow. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. Aren't good there good some that. people that just can't do it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. do you, you have, must <laughs> know people who can't get there. We have there. relatives who are... Um, you know, kind of grumpy all the time. Do, yeah. they, do they listen to your podcast? No. No. None no. of our relatives listen to our podcast. Okay. That way we can say anything we want. Gotcha. No. <laughs> it's not quite true, but not this one, for sure. I think there are some people for whom fun is challenging, and that is because of the playfulness, connection, and flow aspect. And there's a couple of reasons it could be challenging. I suspect that for most people, flow is the most challenging because we're so distracted all the time, in large part because of our phones. But I think for other people... The other aspects are going to be challenging, like being vulnerable enough to have true human connection or allowing yourself to be free from self-judgment and criticism exactly. and enough to be playful. Exactly. So I think that that's, but when you, I think what's really cool about breaking it down like that is that you go from just thinking, I'm not a fun person, I can never be a fun person, I've got no hope, to being like, well, actually, all of us can be fun and we all have the ability to experience its joy. But there's specific things we can work on and skills we can hone and develop that will help us experience it. So even if you're a fun sucker, like a wet blanket right now, you're listening to this, which probably not because I doubt you have many wet blankets listening, there's hope for you. And I think that's really nice. Yeah, we, we, know, like we know a fun sucker, so... Yeah, a yeah, fun, yeah. a fun sponge. I've got a friend um, uh, who who said he had an ex-girlfriend who said he was so unfun that she called him Nuff for fun backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and what was so funny about that is I was thinking I was like, you know what, this guy actually, I think he does have fun. It's just not he's not someone who's going to go to karaoke with you, but I think he's got his fun magnet is engaging in intense like academic debates about nutrition. Like there's just we each find it in different ways, you know. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. I, I think this is where we might have some differences of opinion here, Ooh. because I think it. I have an answer to this question, but we want to ask you: Can true fun be planned? For instance, by going to Disneyland or something <laughs> like that, or must it always be serendipitous? It just happens. What do you guys think? I think it needs to be serendipitous, and I think it can be planned. Oh. I told you we had. Yeah. Can Can you expand on each of those thoughts for our? Well, our my experience listeners? is is that when you plan things, um, it's not fun, and when you don't plan things, it is fun. Okay, there you go. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> that was. How about that for an argument? It was either really convincing or not. I'm not sure which one it no, was. No, my experience is like we. I remember we went to Europe once, and and when we got lost. It was so much fun being lost. It was so scary, and we couldn't understand French, even though I was asking questions like, où est la boule? And I'd say something, and then they... You didn't just try gibberish? And then they'd answer me, blah, 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 blah. And I'd go, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it was so much fun and scary and yes. unplanned. We were the parts of the trip that were planned were disastrous. Oh my, that's a strong so it's my statement. Well, well yeah, okay. Because, well, I tend know, to overstate. Okay. And also, I don't know whether we should even go there. Oh, okay. I mean, 
Oh my. Okay. They were disastrous because there were places that I wanted to go to and you didn't. Oh. So yeah, you you sucked up the fun, babe. I was a fun, fun sucker. Spider. You were a fun sucker. Oh, Extinguishing the flames. Paris, he was a fun oh, sucker. Oh man, that's that's bad. Yeah. So. Catherine, why don't you have some more of your? Wait, I'm gonna eat something here. crunchy while <laughs> Becky, you tell us. So wait, why do you think fun fun should be planned? Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't think it has to be planned, but I don't think that that negates it because you planned it. The problem that people have with planning is that they have expectations. When you plan something, you have certain, and, and, you, yeah. and those expectations yeah. can get bigger and bigger, and they can actually get in the way of kind of a serendipitous, you know, moment. So I can see that, um, and that's certainly I've experienced it, but I've also experienced some, experienced some great fun times where we planned to go somewhere, and yes, we had a great time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I have some thoughts on some uh, some thoughts on that. Okay. I'm sorry. I just ate something that involved a jalapeno, <laughs> which is not fun for me. Was it good? No. Actually, the rest of it was quite good. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. It was crunchy. Mm. I'm gonna eat that whole plate, guys. You yeah. don't need to worry you about. Do it. You okay. do it. There's it's nothing just, left for us. Well, That's I mean, okay. you should be eating it. We're gonna order something else. Not we're my fault. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, no, I was gonna say a couple things. I think one one thing that stood out to me is. Um, as I was saying before, so I think that the definition of fun is playful, connected flow is universal, but that each of us finds it through different activities and settings and people, the things that we're referring to as fun magnets. But there's also characteristics that we tend to find more fun than others. I, I call these fun factors in the book, but for example, like for some people, they really like spontaneity. If things are sponta- spontaneous, spontaneous or uncertain, or if there's a risk or a thrill involved, they enjoy it more. For other people, that's an anti-fun factor that mm. will make it not fun. They don't like that. So that's one thought. I also think we just need to rethink how we plan for fun. Because, you know, if you, I, I think you have to plan for fun in some senses. So, Alan, you got to hear me out here. All right, I'm he listening. just gave I'm, me I'm very listening. skeptical eyebrows. No, and no, 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 no. That's just my face. <laughs> <laughs> don't pay attention to my I face. Know. I know. Subtle but skeptical. So the reason I say that is that if I were to say to you, like, okay, well, let's put fun on our schedule. Let's say from, like, 5 to 7 next Tuesday we're going to have fun. Well, that seems to me to be a recipe for disaster. What does that even mean? But I think one of the benefits of thinking about what your fun magnets are, so if you put some thought into, like, okay, well, what... What are the, yeah, as I said, the activities and the settings and people that often are involved when I have fun, then you can put those on your schedule and block out time for them. The reason I think that's important is that if you don't prioritize those things, the rest of life is going to rush in and fill that space for many people because we're so busy, right? So you need to actually have a concrete sense of what you enjoy and what's likely to generate fun. So, and that can be different for every person. It's very interesting, Catherine. We, I mean, the, the, fun, the fun fact, yeah, <laughs> the fun, yeah, that's my pr- professor. The, um, <laughs> the, the, the fact is that we have fun in different ways, and my wife may have fun and does have fun in different ways than, than I do, and yet we do have fun together. Even when we're together, we're having fun in different ways. We're having fun oh, in different so ways. We could, we, we could be sitting on the same couch and having different fun. Different fun. There you go. You know, and I also think there's like something to be said for that if something is a disaster, that itself can be fun. So one of my earlier books was called, <laughs> it was a parody travel guide that I have a feeling you guys would appreciate. It was called 101 Places Not to See Before You Die. Oh, wow. And the I idea... Like yeah, it was like, the anti-bucket list. It was the anti-bucket list because my, my goal and it was actually a very pro-travel book because the point was that if you're turning travel into a checklist, then what's the point of leaving home? You know, sometimes the most uncomfortable experiences in the moment lead to the best stories afterwards. Yeah. Do you want to ask about Margaret Thatcher? 
Oh, yes, I okay, do. Okay, I can truly I say in none of my work ever has anyone ever led up to a question. Okay. Did, you want, did, did you want to ask about Margaret Thatcher? <laughs> See, I'm, I feel it's like I feel so controlling right now. That's how right his now. brain works. Yeah. Well, but you got us off track, so I, I, it's good that you're directing I, me. I, I truly have no idea what page where this is, is it going. going. Oh, I, you do. I do. Oh, I have it. I have it. Yes, 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 because... Now you, Ellen's pointing You were inspired <laughs> by Margaret Thatcher's Minister of Loneliness. Oh, okay. okay. See, there you, you go. Do. Okay. To create, I didn't realize she was the one who appointed. Okay. To create a new position in the American federal government, the Secretary of Fun. <laughs> it hasn't come to fruition yet. I think that, you know, we're so divided, it's so hard to get consensus. <laughs> well, okay, so now's your th- chance to make to a make recommendation. We want to know that if you were appointed and confirmed as the Secretary of Fun, what would be your first policy suggestion to the U.S. Congress? Well, first of all, I want to be a minister. I don't want to be a secretary. I want to be a czar. A czar. Okay, okay. the czar of fun. The czar of fun. Absolutely. Put put down your goddamn phones. That would be my first recommendation. I'd phrase it that way. Because I think... Someone asked me the other day, like, what do I think is the most important if forced to choose between playfulness, connection, and flow? And um, it was very interesting because my... She thought I was going to say connection. My husband thought I was going to say playfulness. I thought I would punt on the question entirely. But when forced to answer, I said flow, because you can't be playful or connected if you're distracted. And flow is a state of total engagement. So if I were forced to choose in my new position as the czar of fun, as to which one we should prioritize, it would be flow. And there's also all sorts of benefits to being engaged in presence and detriments to being constantly distracted. But the main impediment to that is this, the devices we keep in our pockets at all times. So I think my first campaign initiative would be to raise awareness about the many detrimental effects of just allowing our attention to be hijacked at all times. You know how they do that thing in like the convention, or at least they did it in the Democratic convention, where like every state, it was like, aloha. And like that guy was like making, it wasn't waffles. What was he making? There was like a, or was it Rhode Island? There was like some kind of guy on a beach with like a cookout. That kind of, anyway, yes, I would make them do skits. Because that's fun to me, and I'm the czar. <laughs> and you're the czar. Very good. Very good. Should, should we finish up? Uh, we got to yeah. talk about delight. We have to talk about delight really yes, quickly. Yes, yes, Oh, delight, good. delight, good. delight. Paula, yes. my dear listener. Paula Parker wants to know about delight. Okay. I think yes. she already knows, but she wants you to tell us. <laughs> so tell, us. Gonna, tell us. Going back to what we were talking about before about, you know, whether it's possible to become a more fun person, I would say, yes, it is actually possible to become a more fun person. Because when I talk to people about what made people fun, I actually literally ask people, like, describe some fun, quote unquote, fun people in your life, your life, and, and what is it about them that makes them fun? No one was like, they're blonde. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like, oh, they're, they've got Eastern European heritage. It was like, they make people feel comfortable in their presence, or they have a positive outlook, or they embrace imber- Im- absurdity, or they're always coming up with ideas for things to do. So all these things that were like very much under our control, and it made me think that it's actually very possible to cultivate what I call a fun mindset, which is a play on Carol Dweck's term, the growth mindset. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to embrace a practice of noticing delights. So I came to this idea because a friend of mine mentioned that she'd read a book by this poet named Ross Gay called The Book of Delights, appropriately for which he had written an essay every single day for a year about something that delighted him. And when he noticed something that delighted him, he would stick a finger in the air and he would say, delight, out loud. And so in the book, when he describes a delight, he puts, it's a parenthetical and it says delight with an exclamation point. But what he talks about in the book is that the more he tuned into noticing delights, the more delights presented themselves to him. And he describes it as almost like developing a delight radar. 
and that it really profoundly changed the way he viewed the world and that there's just delights everywhere. Vanessa, my friend, and I decided to adapt our own practice of noticing delights. And then I, I again, like wanted to bring in this scientific aspect or, or angle to it. And I was thinking, well, it's kind of interesting to think about that as a legitimate intervention that could boost our moods. But if you look at the, the um, study of positive psychology and what goes into human well-being, noticing and appreciating positive things is actually quite well validated to, unsurprisingly, like improve our depressive symptoms. And it is even better if you accompany it with a physical gesture, you know, such as sticking a finger in the air, and also sharing it with another person is a big deal. And so one of the things I started doing during the pandemic, going to your question of what was it like to write this book during the pandemic, is to have delight text chains with people, which I actually think is a great use of technology. So I, I've got a particular group of friends in California whom I don't get to see much in normal times, let alone now. And we just started texting back and forth delights. So it was like one friend texted a, a screenshot of a playlist of all the songs that played in The Gap on June 6, 1992. Just like so absurdly specific. You can that find that somewhere. Apparent, I can send it to you later. And so we just traded delights, and it, and I just love the fact that I mean I can tell you intuitively from my personal lived experience, it made me feel good to get those delights. You Very were just easy. doing it in the car. You were looking at the clouds and the blue sky. I was. There you go. And you were delighted was, by it. I was. I was delighted. Yeah. So That's I right. encourage you and your listeners like to put words to that, and I think it's really true that. The more we tune into, the, it's kind of like if you start paying attention to manholes, and then you'll suddenly like notice there's manholes everywhere. You know, like we, again, our lives are what we choose to pay attention yes, to. So yes, choose to yes. pay attention to delight, and it'll get you into a mindset that's more positive, and that will prime you to being open to playful, connected flow. I love it. And therefore, will increase opportunities for fun. <laughs> I like that, Catherine. Yeah. I want to thank I'm you so much. That. This has been kind of a different kind of a podcast. <laughs> I, yeah, because you went way off script. I went, yeah, you know, and it's like I have this script, and it's like it it centers me. I mean, I don't know if you can see it. It's kind of it's like, like clutching it to his chest. I'm clutching yeah, it. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, we talked about Margaret Thatcher, so I feel like whatever you guys did in the script, we, we did what we needed I to. Think you know? you're right. Right. I think we did, Al. I All think right. we're good. And now I'm going to finish this up. Go ahead. You've been listening to Bar Crawl Radio Podcast, recorder at Bar Hoogia. Hooga. Thank you. In Philadelphia. We've been talking with Catherine Price, a most charming person, a delightful person, a person who is just full of fun, true fun. Um, recovering, she's a recovering tech addict, by the way, and about her new book, The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive. Again, thank you for There's something to that. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. It was true fun. fun. And true thanks fun. to and thanks to Wade Ripka and his Eastern Blockheads band for our intro and outro music. Always love you, Wade. <laughs> and to Paula Parker. And to Paula Parker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Respect Paula. the punctuation. <laughs> <laughs>